So, Bob, I was looking at Google News and psychology articles, and I thought I would review them with you and see what sort of entertaining yet educational banter we might be able to create for the listeners who uh, value such a thing. <laughs> well, well, we'll find out. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirkana. I'm a therapist and a professor, and uh, my dog, Chloe, has decided to join us for the podcast. Who are you, Bob? I am uh, being sniffed by your dog, Chloe, right now, um, uh, your old friend from graduate school and also a therapist in practice here in Seattle. We won't say where she's sniffing you because we don't want to uh, offend any listeners at this point, maybe yeah. later in the episode. The last thing they need to have in their minds is the dog sniffing my crotch, so let's not talk about it. Yeah, don't don't put that in your head. No. Let's just erase that from your brain right now uh, <laughs> because, you know, when you think about a dog's you know nose going up into a man's crotch like that's just something you don't want in your head like don't think about <laughs> don't no. a nose going into a a jeaned crotch right a wet cold dog nose leaving snot smudges i got to i got to go home and how do i explain that <laughs> <laughs> all right first article psychology today uh by Allison Escalante md wrote an article called College Admission Scandal. Did, did you hear about this whole thing? Oh, is this that? Yeah. 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 So I don't know. I just wanted to talk about it a little bit because as a college professor and as someone who actually interviews people for admissions, you know, Antioch is so small that right. the professors do everything. Oh, right. Of course. We you don't have admissions committee. It's you guys, right? Yeah. I mean, we have admissions assistants, essentially, but yeah. they're just... Uh, personnel who kind of gather the applications, but mm-hmm. we're the ones who read the applications. We're the ones who interview people. We're the ones who make the decision. Do you have a cap on enrollment? Uh, we do. And does does it often more enroll more people applying than can fit? Lately, yeah. That's that's that wasn't always the case. Is that right? No, I mean it. It's been up and down over the years. Yeah. But in the past two or three years, it's, it's um, always been we have too many people, and it's weird because it's particularly bad right now. Um, because, I mean, I guess it's good that we have too many people applying, and, and we're always ballooning our program to accommodate that. But the problem is, is if we allow too many people in, we can't actually accommodate them to teach them. No, you can't. There's it's not enough much. teachers to teach the classes, not right. enough classrooms, you know, blah, right. blah, blah. And so we're pretty much at capacity right now. Um, How, what's the percentage of people that apply versus get in? Yeah, I th- it depends on what stage. So... Uh, for people who are beginning the application process, uh, I imagine a lot of them drop out because they can't compete on the very beginning stages, and we actually never even get access to those people. Yeah. But by the time they get to us, you know, it depends quarter to quarter, but it's been like like two-thirds admitted and a third not. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, there's quite a few people. I mean, yeah. like one time, oh, my God. So we do them in waves. Um we do a, like uh, there's like seasons of admission, right? It's well, not... that but even for each season, we have we do them by group. We do group interviews. Oh, oh, wow! And so uh, we'll interview like ten at a time. Oh, weird. Yeah, it's it's a lot different than it was when when so even just a few years. Ten ago. applicants are in the room. Yeah, with a panel of professors. well, usually just me and another professor. Two you know? professors, and you talk to them. Yeah. Do you learn anything? You do. Oh, okay. I mean, you learn things you wouldn't learn in an individual meeting because you see how they... Because we actually give them a group discussion thing and we observe how they work together. Oh, okay. 
So that's kind of interesting. Right. Um, it, there's pros and cons. I was a holdout for the individual interview because yeah. I find that I get a much better idea of the person's vibe that way. What about introverts? Right. Well, I try to account for that. I okay. try to oh. say like, um, if someone is saying when they talk, they're actually smart. But at the same time, like for me, I would be so socially anxious, uh, yeah. especially at that age of my life. Like I'm sure I would have flubbed it entirely. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so, but that doesn't, anyway, the point is, is that I was interviewing these 10 people. Right. And at the end of it, I ranked them. You have to rank them because if there's only five spots and we have 10 people, then right. then the f- top five people get in and the, right. the bottom rank don't get in. Well, I didn't know until after I ranked them that we only had one spot. Oh. So the only person who got in who got in the program was my number one, and the other nine did not get in, even Holy though cow. even though uh, seven of the other nine I thought were fantastic. Yeah, they just weren't like super impressive, like the number one person. You was. only have one spot, so what are you going to do? Yeah, amazing. So anyway, I, I thought I would talk about this. It, sure. It, so in case you don't know, and by the time this episode airs, the I'm sure the news cycle will have forgotten about this, but. The New York Times broke news about some scandal. The FBI, or the government, or I think FBI, had an operation called Operation Varsity Blues. <laughs> Can you believe that? Somebody gets to write that up. They get to name name scan name um, operations. Well, cool. what that tells me is that our FBI agents are a younger crowd because there was oh, that sure. movie with Vanderbeek. Vanderbeek, right? Yeah. And. Um, so some young 30-something FBI guy, so yeah, Operation Varsity Blues. Because he liked that film. And uh, Hey, listen to me. Yeah. And um, it, they had 200 agents uh, nationwide doing a, I think, a sting operation, essentially, yeah. to try to uh, catch all these colleges essentially taking bribes right. to allow substandard students to be admitted right into like Harvard, Harvard and Yale and and, U- and USC USC yeah, that's the one i heard about right and uh 50 indictments were passed down which i think is great i wonder like how important it is that our fbi is spending time on this instead of more i don't know it just I, i'm glad it happened yeah. i don't like fraud right but at the same time what do we expect you know like like what about the bankers, you know? Yeah. What about uh, businesses that right. are frauding people, you know? Right. Uh, there's lots of fraud that's happening. Sure. And I'm glad they're doing sting, sting operations. I'm just, you I'm would just worried this? that, is this like that? Yeah. I don't, because to me, I'm like that actress from Full, right. Full House. Right. She apparently paid half a million dollars, her and her husband, to get her two daughters into USC. Wow. Which is bizarre. One, USC isn't that hard to get into. I think USC is about as hard to get into as maybe like UW or maybe not even that hard. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's not like Stanford. It's or, not, yeah, right. It's it's a state school that is well regarded for the region, sure. but it's a large school that right. admits a lot of different people. Anyway, for whatever reason, she paid half a million dollars. And now that I say that, I wonder if it's because the parents didn't want their kids to move away from home because I presume 
the parents live in L.A. That make it goes to seem you know cal, uh, movie types actor types right they probably have to live in and around L.A. and yeah. USC is around L.A. right yeah I mean UCLA is right in the heart of like the Westwood you know that area right and USC must be nearby but anyway. I think it is yeah so I wonder if that was why it's like well we well because I'm thinking why because all the other charges were like fifteen thousand dollars. $20,000 to get their kid into Yeah, that's Harvard. what I thought it was, those kind of numbers. But the, this couple from Full House paid half a million dollars wow. to various different people. And the way that they do it is they get the coaches to recruit people. And so the USC one was they got the two daughters to be recruits for the crew team. Huh. And that circumvents the need to have good SAT scores and all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, is that why that was? It's oh. like a backdoor, essentially. And then are, when, when they get in, are they on the crew team? So I'm guessing what happens is uh, in name only. Oh. And the coach just sort of quietly uh, keeps them around. Maybe they show up to a couple practices and don't really do anything. Wow. Or maybe they're like fifth string crew or something. Sure. Um. And also, there's a guy that all these people paid who actually is the in-between guy. Like so the he broker? Take, yeah, he's a broker between... He has all the connections with the corrupt coaches to these parents. And um, to me, I'm like, well, isn't... Uh, it just... For some reason, it just doesn't bother me that these people are doing it. It's not fair, obviously. Yeah. But as a... As a person in society myself, I'm like, well, there's a lot of places you can get an education. You don't have to go to USC. You don't have to. Harvard, you know, these other universities, it's already expensive to go there anyway. It's already for the privileged people. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I just, because to me, it's like, if you really want it to succeed in life, you don't have to go to USC. You don't have to go to Harvard. You don't have to go to Yale. You don't yeah. have to go to Brown. I didn't go to any of those. Yeah, you can you can go to another school. Sure. It so it's like if those idiots want to pay a shit ton of money to get into what is considered to be a better school even though it's not. Um, you know, God bless you. Like you're you're welcome to the fact that you have lost out on you know your funds. I, I guess I, yeah. I I just don't really care. Yeah. It's um, like the, you know the golden ticket thing at like Universal Studios where you buy a ticket, you have to stand in line. You buy the mega ticket, it costs like twice as much. You get ushered to the front of the line. It just sounds like that. Right. And um, obviously not fair and not corrupt fair. Yeah. and fraud and, and it, should it, be prosecuted. It rewards privilege, which you know totally. doesn't really need any more reward. But that's already happening. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Uh, so uh, it's just, I don't know. It, it, Would you be in favor of like legalizing that? Legalizing fraud? Well, it wouldn't Le- be legalizing would... bribery. Yeah. Well, it already kind of is. Like, for example, if you donate a bunch of money, I'm pretty sure there's some way to reward you with that. Maybe not officially. I don't know. Maybe but, not officially, but yeah. But like we've been saying, it already is rewarded that if you have a shit ton of money, yeah, and you happen to get in through the admissions standards, um, you know, two two different families. One kid gets in, both kids get in, one family has the money to get the kid through school, the other family does not. So we already have that disparity, right. you know what I mean? There's already a massive disparity there. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, even with loans, you need the privilege of um, kind of knowing your way around, yeah. not having a family that you have to support, 
um, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so uh, I just thought it was an interesting story and, and just an interesting kind of phenomenon. And I'm just trying to think, like, if anyone ever had approached me with that kind of thing, uh, I, you know, I can't imagine that happening. And I, I wouldn't go for it because no. I'm, I'm not I, – I mean, it's, it's funny. It's like everyone has their price. So I'm trying to think, like, what kind of price point would it have to be for me to, like, give into it? But – um, I would just assume that I'd get caught, honestly. Yeah, exactly. Would it be worth $15,000? Hell no, no. No, 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 yeah. Uh, but, you know, half a million? I don't know. Um, well, the problem with that is now I have a half a million dollars that, you know, somebody might ask, where'd you get that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. A, uh, yeah. So, um, interesting little yeah. phenomenon happening in the news right there. And again, must be a slow news cycle because now everyone hates the full house lady. Because right. she, even though there's 50 indictments, everyone she's, she's the, the most one they know. noticeable one. So right. everyone apparently uh, desperate housewives. Yeah, Felicity Huffman. Oh, okay. I yeah. Don't even. Do you watch that show? No. Oh, but she's married to um, William H Macy. Oh, okay. Uh, that's a power couple right there. Yeah. Uh, you wonder what William H Macy is like in real life. He seems like a good guy, but I don't know. Maybe it's just the characters he plays. Yeah. Next article here on sciencealert.com. Here are 16 psychological tricks to immediately make people like you. Oh. Uh, so let's review these guys. Number one, copy the person you're with. What do you think, Bob? Oh, yeah, mirror. Sure. Okay. Uh, yeah, the strategy is called mirroring and involves subtly mimicking another person's behavior. Yeah. Uh, when talking to someone, try copying their body language, gestures, and facial expressions. I don't know. It sounds a little um, simplistic on some level. Yeah. But, you know, not bad. Number two, spend more time around the people you're hoping to befriend. Uh, Seems pretty obvious. Well, yeah. Uh, three, compliment other people. Yeah. It's right. good. Yeah. Don't good. be schmarmy. No, Eddie Haskell. Yeah. <laughs> Eddie Haskell. Um, so that one, I think, is a good thing even for people who don't lack social skills to be reminded of. You know, it's just oh, sure. like, just pay attention to... Um, pointing out other th- nice things in other people. Yeah. Um, number four, try to display positive emotions. That's pretty obvious. Yeah. Number five, be warm and competent. Why are those two things together? What's competent and warm? Yeah, what is that? Yeah, Princeton University psychologists and their colleagues proposed the stereotype content model, which is a theory that people judge others based on their warmth and competence. Oh, oh, I, okay. According they're two, they're two um, indices. Maybe not, not related, though. Yeah. yeah. If you portray yourself as warm, non-competitive and friendly, people will feel like they can trust you. If you seem competent, for example, if you have high economic or educational status, they'll be more inclined to respect you. Um, oh. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is, you know, based on classism. I don't know. Does it make you feel cynical? I mean, it makes me feel cynical. Yeah, it's it's classism. Yeah. Uh, you know, why does someone have to be good at things or yeah. uh, high economic or educational status to be likable? That seems not fair. Well, I don't think they're saying that. I think they're saying is um, that um, that tends to draw people. Yeah, but why is the question? You know, I don't know. What I mean, you know, humans are set up to stereotype. You know, quick, quick, yeah, quick, um, make quick impressions, quick judgments. You know, whatever. Maybe it's just taking advantage of that capacity. I'm, it has nothing to do with fair and unfair. I, I, it's unfair. Yeah. 
<clears throat> well, I would say it has to do with classism. We're taught that educated and rich people are better. Oh, sure. Um, and also what this person says is, from an evolutionary perspective, it is more crucial to our survival to know whether a person deserves our trust, which, you know, might have some truth to it. It's hard to know. Yeah. <clears throat> Number six is reveal your flaws from time to time. Uh, this is a nuanced one. I like it. Yeah, it's good. I have found this and to be I've found this to be good. Yeah. So as a teacher, I've realized that especially as I age. I've realized that my students think of me as they assume that I'm flawless. Oh, or they think of me as perfect. You oh, know, they, yeah. they well, think sure. they think of me as someone who has it all figured out. Sure, has total confidence. Right, never makes a mistake. And like for example, this quarter, uh, some students. So we send out a mid-quarter evaluation. Right, and and by the way, I believe it's the exact same form we used. No kidding. 25 years ago. Wow. So um, that's how slowly things move. <laughs> and we still fill them out by hand. Other universities would never fill out a course evaluation by hand because, mm. you know, someone has to, like, enter them. And ANIAC has a culture. Yeah. Uh, and some people this quarter were saying that they felt, like a few people were saying they felt intimidated by me. Oh. And two that I came across like I didn't have any flaws or something along those lines. Like you were conceited, big-headed? Mm, or like I don't think that was... A, it might have been, but I don't think that was the 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 what they were trying to get across. I think oh. what it was was they felt scared themselves okay. in comparison to me somehow or something. Maybe, um, maybe the impression of you is that you aren't willing to share your flaws as opposed to... Yeah. As, again, from my... The sense I got was yeah. that they th- actually thought I didn't have anything wrong with me. Oh. And therefore were intimidated by that or something oh. along those lines. Do you want me to come to like a class and help them out? <laughs> <laughs> uh, sure. Uh, and uh, duly noted. And so I, you know, started to do what I do all the time. Yeah. Uh, the dog wants to go outside. Bob's going to let her out. Uh, she's whining. She does that thing. Um, and so I, uh, started to, and I, I think it also is just a product of the way I structure the classes. The beginning of the quarter is much more theoretical based. Right. I'm trying to cram a lot of knowledge and theory into the beginning of the quarter. And then the latter part of the quarter is much more experiential. And, yeah. In, in, and I lead by example, always, I, I, I never say to the class, okay, you know, tell me about your. Um, difficulties in your childhood. I, right. I always lead by example. Right. Nice. And so, uh, be uh, for a lot of reasons, but um, so that happened later in the quarter. And so, God bless. Excuse me. Um, I was hoping that um, that would. Uh, so, revealing your flaws from time to time sure. um, makes you more approachable, and um, and it's one of the reasons why comedy in which people make fun of themselves is so funny. Yeah. Because when people make fun of themselves, it relieves so much pressure yeah. from us. It's like, oh, you're human. Yeah, you're relatable. You've, you've made the same mistake that I've had. Right. You know, there's so many things that we struggle with right. that we keep to ourselves. Yeah. Um, that's why farting is so funny. Because oh, right. uh, we all try to hide our farts. Right. Till the day we die. Right. And uh, so any fart jokes, you know, it's just hilarious. Right. right. 
Uh, number seven, emphasize shared values. What do you think about that one? What is that? According to a classic study by Theodore Newcomb, people are more attracted to those who are similar to them. Oh, well, okay. This is known as the similarity attraction effect. Very, oh, wow. That's very no secret to that name. <laughs> number eight. I love this one. Casually touch them. Oh, uh-huh. What do you think mm, about that one? Well, you could go either way on that one. I could see where that could be an invasion. I could see where that could sound flirtatious, and maybe you don't mean it that way. It could uh, yeah. could be effective, too, I guess. Yeah. Subliminal touching, which I don't understand what, what is that, that? Is, um, occurs when you touch a person so subtly that they barely notice. Why would you want to do that? That sounds like a pickpocket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Common examples include tapping someone's back or touching their arm, which can make them feel more warmly towards you. Yeah. In a French study, young men stood on street corners and talked to women who walked by. The men, the men had double the success rate in stri- striking up a conversation when they lightly touched the women's arms as they talked to them instead of doing nothing at all. Uh, the dog wants back in. A University of Mississippi and Rhodes College experiment studied the effects of interpersonal touch on restraint tipping, restaurant tipping, sorry, and had some waitresses briefly touch the customers on the hand or shoulder as they were returning for their change. As it turns out, those waitresses earned significantly larger tips than the ones who didn't touch their customers. Fascinating. Yeah, I get it. Um, Significantly larger tips is hard hard to know the effect size. Well, sure, right. Um, But but it is... is And... Yeah, it's a tough one because obviously you don't want to invade people's spaces yeah, and, and a tra- factor. traumatize them. Right. Uh, and women have more of the privilege to do this than men do um, oh, right. for obvious reasons. And um, But I've, I've done this like when I feel, uh, I don't know, close to one of my students or supervisees or whatever, like I'll... Particularly if they're a guy, there's some kind of permission I feel is just more likely that a guy is going to be cool with me putting my hand on his back or something yeah. in a in a warmth gesture. I find that uh, that now I don't do it strategically. I'm not like I want this person to like me. Yeah. I just can't help it. I just want I just want it's to just do your that. Genuine nature. Yeah. yeah, that's why we do it, right? That's, right. That's why. Anyway. You know, I do that uh, when I teach too. I sometimes, if it's I'm sitting next to somebody, I'll tap their arm, or I'll say high five. You know, and that. Um, sometimes I will um, just sort of touch, like I'm touching them, but not actually touching them. My uh, my old supervisor called it proximal touch, which is not touch at all. But it's like I put my hand up as if I'm going to touch somebody's shoulder, but I don't actually do it. Oh, yeah. And I do that in couples counseling. If I don't know, I touch people's feet a lot in couple counseling. I don't know if you do that, but. I sit close, and oftentimes when I want to make a point or get someone's attention, I'll touch their feet. Wow, how you must be really close. Well, close do you, do you reach feet. over and touch their foot? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, my my chair's on wheels too, so you kind of wheel over and touch their foot. Yeah, like like if their foot if they're crossing their legs. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Or occasionally I'll reach down to the floor if I you know I don't do that very often, um, but if but I'll often just do that sort of pat the air in front of them as a way of. Not touching, but indicating, I don't know, something like touch, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels like touch, I imagine. And touching the foot has got to be the least creepy thing one (laughs) If you just tap someone's (laughs) shoe, you know, like, it'd be hard to interpret that or feel that as a violation. Yeah. If you're just, like, touching their shoe. Yeah. Their shoe, yeah. 
I mean, I suppose if they had didn't have shoes on, it'd be a little bit more intimate. Might be, yeah. My, my people all wear their shoes somehow. And I don't grab their foot and hold on to it. It's just like a tap. Right. Yeah. Well, let's take a break. When we get back, let's continue how you touch your clients. What do you say, Bob? <laughs> Creepy. All right. We're back from the break. If you haven't become a patron yet, do so now. Go to patreon.com. Let's read a couple more of these. Number nine is Smile. Uh, that's pretty obvious. Yeah, sure. Uh, number 10 is see the other person how they want to be seen. Oh, that's interesting. Like so this, this is how to get people to like you. Uh, number 10 is see the other person how they want to be seen. That's huh. subtle. I like that one. Yeah. Uh, you know, if someone wants to be seen as someone who's really good at their job, right? then you want to see them that way. Yeah, pay attention to their good at their job bits. Yeah. Colleen, Colleen uh, will occasionally remark on our like fourth or fifth date. Uh, we're driving back from um, Joan Osborne concert at Marymore Park. Oh, boy. Uh, we're driving back to her that house. That wasn't the Lillafail Fair? No, no. Just Joan Osborne was in town. Hmm. And I don't remember exactly. What, what... if God was? Well, isn't that Yeah, Joan that Osborne? lady. Yeah. 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 And um, I don't remember what I said exactly, but it was something like, you know, I think you're the kind of person who... You know, you want connection, but you also want your space and autonomy to be respected. And so you need, like, you know, some room to move and to be respected that way, you know, which, you know, on one hand sort of seems obvious, but she, that stuck with her. She's like, you said that to me, and I really felt like you saw me. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really an interesting thing to say on the fourth date. That's so you. That's so great. Oh, I'm good. That's so... uh... Uh, genuine, <laughs> and seeing the other person. Number 11, tell them a secret. Oh, sure. Self-disclosure. Number 12, show that you can keep their secrets too. Right. It's pretty obvious. Yeah, right. 13, display a sense of humor. Uh, that's easier said than done. Well, right. Number 14, let them talk about themselves. That's a big one. Yeah. Harvard researchers recently discovered that talking about yourself may be the Maybe the inherently rewarding, maybe inherently rewarding the same way that food, money, and sex are. <laughs> wow. That's an interesting comment right there. In one study, the researchers had participants sit in an fMRI machine and respond to questions about either their own opinions or someone else's. Participants had been asked to bring in a friend or family member to the experiment who was sitting outside the fMRI machine. In some cases, Participants were told that their responses would be shared with a friend or relative. In other cases, their responses would be kept private. Results showed that brain regions associated with motivation and reward were most active when participants were sharing information publicly. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, in other words, letting someone, share a story, letting someone share a story or two about their life instead of blabbing about yours could give them more positive memories of your interaction. I well, mean, yeah, it's pretty obvious, but... That they've actually studied this and found that it's similar to food, money, and sex. Yeah. Which, of course, makes sense because we're such social creatures. Right. Reward centers and all. But it sort of lends itself to why I do this podcast because basically that's all I do in this podcast is really? talk about my experience. Maybe we should do a podcast from an FRM, fMRI machine and watch your pleasure center, your reward center light up. I mean, I suppose I like doing this podcast as much as I like eating a hamburger. I mean, that's probably true. Well, where'd you get the hamburger? I mean, is it McDonald's? Is it Dick's? Oh, no. Uh, well, the hamburger I had in my head was at Cinnabar in Montlake. 
Really? Actually, it's a lamb burger, to be specific. Oh, how interesting. And fries. And then a, a um, barbecue chicken pizza. Oh, I don't believe in barbecue chicken on pizza. That's, how dare you? Yeah, I know, but that's what you Westies do. Oh, it's, it's a Philly thing to, to like dog on Westies uh, pizza choices? No, just barbecue chicken. Oh. How do you feel about Hawaiian? Oh, yeah, that's good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 15, be a little vulnerable. Oh, absolutely. That's important. I do that all the time. Uh, 16, act like you like them. <laughs> well, aren't all of these sort of that? I, you know, <laughs> act like you like them. It sounds so, like, artificial. Right. Um, but, you know, so for me, yeah. growing up, I tended to be a little isolating or something sure. i tended to like one of like when actually my very first therapy job as an intern i was so scared of uh i was 26 years old 25 right. or something and i was 25 yeah i was so scared of what was happening that and it was such a large organization that and everyone was older and seemingly more competent and you know sure. they just knew things that I would just show up to my internship and keep my head down oh, yeah. and, and just do my job and just try to only only take risks with people that I knew that I knew. Right. And with everyone else I just sort of avoided conversation because I right. was just like, you know, I don't I'm gonna screw this up somehow. Right. Social anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. And um as I talk about in my book, uh, multi role clinical supervision, I got fired from that from that position. Um and it, you know, it's it could be possible that part of it was that because people, oh, uh -huh. in the absence of me um, bonding with people mm -hmm. or expressing myself, people, demonstrating any interest, people uh, right, uh, yeah. in, impose something into my head that wasn't really there, which was some sort of hostility yeah. or rejection or something. Right. I don't know. Uh, if you want to read the full story of me being fired and why that all went down, it had mostly to do with my terribly abusive supervisor, but. It's all written in my book, Multi-Role Clinical Supervision. Did I ever tell you about that thing that happened to me in group group therapy class back in grad school? What? There was uh, Tori. Do you remember Tori? No. Oh. She looked like Susan Day from the um, L.A. Law Years. Really cute, right? Okay. And, you know, me... A teacher or a student? A student. One of, one of the other students. Um, so, you know, part of group therapy classes, you actually do a group and you, everybody trades leadership role, but you, you know, the idea is that you participate in the group. And I was really standoffish, particularly towards her. And it's because I, I was attracted to her. I thought she was really cute. She was smart, fun. She seemed like a lively person and, you know, like, uh, you know, whatever, out of my league, right? So, oh. so you, well, but, but I was really shy. And so I, I didn't talk to her. And she said in the group, I don't understand why you act this way. It's like you don't even like me. Ah. And I'm like, I don't want to talk about this. And do you remember Brian? Uh, Older guy, Brian Sullivan. Am I allowed to use last names? I don't know. Sure. Yeah. Unless you say something the, horrible. He was a weightlifter. No, no, no. Nice guy. Actually, what he said was something that really stuck with me. He said, I'll sit here all afternoon if that's what it takes in order for you to feel safe enough to talk, which was really lovely. And I was like, Okay, I'll just talk. It's like I, I find myself attracted to you and, and you know, I'm shy. And it makes me, you know, act this way. And then from then it was fine. Great. Yeah. But yeah. I, her impression of me was like the opposite of my valence towards her. Right. When we 
protect ourselves, we often come across yeah. in the way that we're not intending to, right. which is stuck up and yeah, stuck un- up. uncaring and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Mildly hostile. <laughs> yeah. And uh, which is really one of the most unfortunate things about social anxiety. Yeah, it is. Um, so, yeah. So all these, I, I find a lot of these tips to actually be pretty good. And the, um, even for people, like I said, who might not struggle with these things, I think it's important. Like, like one of the things that I sometimes forget, because like you come over to podcast at my office. Right. And sometimes I'm busy with a lot of different things in my day. And then suddenly like someone's at my door and I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. We're podcasting. Or I'm prepping for a podcast and I'm sort of in my head. Yeah. Someone knocks on the door and... I will sort of be like, okay, let's let's get to the next step, and sure. I'll and I'll go to the door, and I'll be like, uh, I'll just be like, I'll just I'll just like open the door and be like, okay, come in, you know, yeah, and I'm all business, right, because you're preoccupied, yeah, and I'm and I'm not focusing on what my that's my alarm. I gotta leave in a couple minutes. Uh, you have to leave right now. Anyway, my point is is that um, we can all learn from these things, and it's about being. Nice and likable, but particularly if you struggle with these things, I think these these tips are actually yeah. pretty good. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Uh, be likable uh, because um, you deserve to have friends around you, and you deserve to be perceived in a way that uh, you actually are, which is a yeah. likable, liking person. Right. Uh, why do people do that? Why should they do that? Bob? They should do that because they deserve it. Mm-hmm.